Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have James Laws, who is the CEO and co-founder of Saturday Drive. James, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Timmy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited. We're going to have a fun conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited, too. Thanks for coming on. And we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Absolutely. So uh, as you said, I'm my name is James Laws. I'm the CEO of Saturday Drive. We have a m- multiple different businesses underneath the umbrella of Saturday Drive uh, and kind of got into entrepreneur entrepreneurship at a young age, starting lots of different little things until I finally found one that actually took off. <laughs> Fun though, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of close-up magic, like card magic mostly. And I collect playing cards, so you can't see it behind me because it's a little dark. I have a huge display of probably about 700 decks of playing cards uh, that I've been collecting over the years. There we go. There we go. And how long have you been following and practicing close-up magic? Well, I have been following it since I was a child. I've always been fascinated with the the art of misdirection and being able to weave a story and captivate an audience so much so that they can't focus on the things that you don't want them to see. They only focus on the things you do want them to see, which I feel is a great statement for marketing in general. Um, so I, it's been forever, but I've probably gotten a little more serious in actually collecting books and, and being a part of certain organizations uh, in the last five to six years. But still, my practicing is on the weekend. I, I more or less like to watch and lurk than I do to actively practice it. I got you. I got you. I feel that. <laughs> I think that's so cool. I'm a huge fan of magic. Also, um, really, I'm a big fan of hypnotists in particular. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just think that stuff is so cool. Um, but yeah, misdirection. I like how you connected it back to business. That was going to be my next question. How do you think it connects into sales and marketing? So if you have anything to add, that would be great. Well, I mean, I think that's that's the real point. I mean, in marketing, in all communication, really, you want to convey a message and tell a story that captivates an audience. And you want to do so in a way that they focus on the things you want them to focus on. And they don't spend too much time worrying about the things you don't want them to focus on. And yeah, I think close-up magic is a lot of that. You spend a lot of time perfecting a craft to make the hard stuff seem easy and almost uh, not even visible. And the easy stuff to make it very big and very bold so that everyone focuses on it. So all the hard, tricky stuff is done kind of under wraps where nobody's paying attention. And then the big stuff, that you, the big reveals are, are displayed. And yeah, so I think that's kind of my, my motive in marketing a little bit. It's like you want to make sure that you can make the things that are important, important. And the things that you don't want people to know, the hard work that goes on behind the scenes, you want to kind of hide that away. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. Tell us about some of the hard work that you've experienced. Like you've gotten the skill, but you had to like kind of cover it up in marketing or dress it up. Um, If you have any examples of that, I'm just curious because like I think of all these gurus and coaches out there that are like, start your online coaching business and make 20K in six weeks. (laughs) And it's like, you know, you can do that. There are people who have done that, but it's a lot of hard work and it's not as easy as like connecting with five people a day and sending them a quick DM. Like there's some more that goes into it, but that's not always what they show. So curious if you have No, I, you are 100% correct. It, it, it comes back to the adage and we've all heard it, right? Almost every overnight success was seven years in the making. That's the craft that you've been perfecting. You, when you see a magician, for instance, and they come out and they perform for you, you think it's it seems so easy. They make it seem like it's not even hap- like again, the hard stuff is hidden. What you don't know is they spent years and years perfecting a craft on a move, just one little thing. And that's just one for one little element that probably requires six to seven of those moves in one effect to 
astound you in what is otherwise a minute and a half card trick. And you don't think about all of the hard work. And I think for anybody who's in business, anybody who's in marketing, who's been successful at it, recognizes that they have spent years honing a craft, developing the tools to be an overnight success that when they finally come out on, on the stage and everybody's like, oh yeah, this person's killing it and their product is huge. And, you know, they've just raised their second round of however many millions of dollars. Like it's because they did a lot of hard work uh, for years getting up there. You know, my business launched and started to take off and really in the early years of 2014, or 2013, I'm sorry. Uh, but before that, I was beating the streets for a decade, doing freelance design work, making rack cards and business cards for people, having a hard time getting clients to just do simple design work that I thought was no brainer. Building websites. I started out building Flash websites, which was a painful process back when Flash was actually a thing. Um, so building all of that, and I, I spent a lot of time unsuccessful working hard, scaling myself, developing these, these skills until one day, you know, everyone's like, this product is really taken off and you guys are killing it. And we didn't even know about you yesterday. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> I was beating the streets, right? I was doing the work, but it took a long time before it happened. And I think that's the, you know, it's the iceberg effect, right? When you see an iceberg, you see a little peak above the water, but what you don't realize is it's 10 times the size underneath the water. And that's the work that's, you know, that, that was taking place to make it the success that you are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So Saturday Drive has a couple of businesses under it. Um, do you mind going through some of the main ones or do you kind yeah. of steer clear? Okay, great. No, that's fine. Uh, so the the one that kind of got us started was a form product called Ninja Forms. It's specifically for the WordPress platform. They party part. They uh, have like power forty percent of the internet. You know, most websites that use CMSs like they they take that. And so we have a form builder called Ninja Forms that lets you build a form on your website very easily. So if you don't have any technical skills, you can collect all kinds of data on your website. So it may be a contact form, and maybe you want to sell a product, sell an ebook, and you can do all that through our product. So we created that. That was kind of what started us off. Since then, we have also built a transactional email service called SendWP, which just makes all of the emails that you get from your website that you might be putting data into CRMs or payments and things like that, or you may have these transactional actions that are taking place on your website. We make sure those emails actually get delivered to where they're going so you know how to act upon them properly. Uh, and then along the same time we were building all these software products, my business partner started beside us, we were kind of working together, started developing a coffee brand. And so now at that same time, while we were developing software, he was developing this coffee brand and we eventually merged together to make all of everything that we do a little bit stronger, which is weird, a software company owning a coffee brand, but we uh, own Bond Life Coffee Roasters. It's got a brick and mortar retail space here in Cleveland, Tennessee, but we are internationally award-winning coffee roaster. And so it's been kind of a fun experience to kind of have these different elements of business, the very technical digital software space to the very community-driven coffee shop where you get to know your patrons on a kind of a real personal level because you see them every single day. So, yeah. And then from there, we've started working on really developing my content that I've been working on with my other business partner and writing about the things that we have learned over the years of leading teams, running a small business and developing a healthy company culture. There we go. There we go. I love it. I was just going to ask you, um, since Saturday Drive is kind of an umbrella company, what is your take on aspiring entrepreneurs right now, networking, finding an investor and acquiring a business as opposed to starting their own? 
I mean, if you if you have the funds to do it, or if you have an investor, acquiring is a great way to get started. If you can find something that you think you can put to the next level, you know, there's lots of businesses out there where there's just founders who are just done, they're tired, they've built it to a certain level, and they just want to get out, or they have a you know these serial entrepreneurs who want to start the next thing and they're done with the whole thing. And a lot of it is about finding a product that still has life in it. And still has a, a growth trajectory because if you don't find that, then you're going to find yourself probably in the same boat as that other person, but faster because they'd already gotten all the joy and the life out of that that project. I think it's a fine project, though. I think it's a great way. There are all, multiple ways of starting a business. You can build something from scratch. That is a way you can do it, and it's hard. And you can get investors. I like to. I'm I'm very prone to want to bootstrap everything that I do. I don't want too many cooks in the kitchen telling me how we should do certain things. So I want to, I want to have control over that. So I like to bootstrap, but you can get investors and build something big. You can get investors or invest your own money and buy something that's already succeeding. And I think there's, there's lots of ways to get into entrepreneurship. If you're interested in doing it, you just have to decide what your pain threshold is and what your upfront investment threshold you're willing to dig into that. For me, it was when we started, it was sweat equity. We just put the time in. Yeah, there was a little bit of money, but it was like we had to host a website or we had to pay for a few tools here or there. It wasn't a huge investment up front, but it was a lot of investment in our time, you know, blood, sweat, and tears of building the product, marketing the product, supporting the product for a couple, for a year and a half without any growth. Seemingly like it wasn't going anywhere until all of a sudden it just kind of snapped and we found our kind of found our market fit. And started to take off. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. Um, yeah, you're either paying in time or you're paying in money, or maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> there we go. Well, now we're going to jump into your motivation. So, what gets you up and keeps you going every day? I ultimately, I love people. Now, this is weird for me to say. I actually have to back up. I am an introvert, and you may not. Most people don't know it when they see me talk, or they, I, you know, I've done public, I've been public speaker for years. Uh, I get on podcasts and I talk, I host a podcast. And when you talk to me, you think you're not an introvert, but I am an, I am an extroverted introvert, meaning I can turn on extroversion when I need to, but it drains me and I get tired. And the way I recharge is I get alone by myself and recharge. So I like to be alone. I'm a hermit in that way, but I'm able to kind of get out and turn on the, the extroversion when I need to. That being said, I really love people and I love seeing people succeed and thrive and be fulfilled and be excited about what they're doing. So kind of what gets me up every day, if it's not from someone outside of my company, it's how do I do that for the people in my company, the people who work with me day to day? How do I help them get to the end of their day and feel full and energized and not beat up by the work that they do. And so, yeah, that's that's the thing that drives me the most is how do I how do I create a thriving cultures in my organization and in the organizations of the people that I talk to? There we go. There we go. I love that. So talk to us a little bit about culture. How do you, how does one go about creating a thriving culture? Well, you know, there's a lot of cult here's the thing. And every company that exists has a culture. And what ultimately you have to determine is do you have a culture on accident? Or do you have a culture on purpose? And when we started, like anybody else, we weren't thinking culture necessarily. We were just thinking we have this business and we need to fill this role and we need to accomplish this go this goal or whatever the case may be. And somewhere down the line, a few years into it, we started to realize, ooh, we have a culture um, on accident. Yep. Like we didn't, we didn't really set out to create this culture and, and therefore the culture, the, the faults of the culture fell on us as the leaders and the owners who started this thing. Cause we didn't protect it and we didn't uh, nurture it and we didn't define it early on. So we had to start doing some work and figuring out what do we want to be? What do we want to stand for? So ultimately you have to decide, do you want to have a culture on accident? Do you want to have a culture on purpose? I think everybody should strive to have a culture on purpose. And then you kind of have to kind of back up and say, well, what do we want? And so what we decided was we wanted a culture of genuine care for people and one another. We wanted to be a truly people first organization. And for us, that meant we started caring about our team before we cared about our customers. And so if my customers are listening, I apologize on the front end, but I care about my team before I care about you. 
And it's not that I don't care about you. It's that I know if I don't care for my team, they won't properly care for you. And so I'm doing you a disservice if I don't take care of my team first. So my team comes first above everything else. And I focus on that. And, and so that's where we kind of started. And so I started developing an idea, especially as the beginning of the pandemic started to happen. And everyone was a little worried about, you know, there's a lot of layoffs were taking place. A lot of businesses were switching to work from home temporarily. Uh, I started to think about, all right, we had just recently gone distributed ourselves. We had been an on-site business for a while, for years. And then we switched almost overnight to being a fully remote company. And so I started to think, how, how do I develop this culture? How do I focus on these people? And ultimately what I determined was I didn't care about engagement. That's the kind of the buzzword of the day, employee engagement. I decided what I really wanted to care about was employee fulfillment. I wanted to make sure that my team felt full at the end of the day. They didn't feel burned out. They didn't feel like they were being asked to give 130% for you know nickels on the dollar. I wanted to pay well. I wanted to give lots of autonomy. I wanted to make sure that they were doing work that was enjoyable and meaningful to them. So I started to develop a fulfillment theory of sorts to define what that looked like, to figure out how I could measure that, and then to figure out where we were weak so I could start to focus on that. And so that's ultimately what we started doing. There we go. There we go. Well, I have to ask about the fulfillment <laughs> theory now. <laughs> I was hoping you would. Um, so ultimately, I use a Venn diagram to explain our kind of theory on fulfillment. So if you can picture three circles overlapping, right, these three overlapping circles, as you would see in a typical Venn diagram, uh, at the center of this is fulfillment. It's what we all want. It's we all, you know, most entrepreneurs, and if you're listening to this and you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur uh, or thinking about entrepreneurship, you are probably saying to yourself, you know, there's some things that I want. Maybe I want, you know, financial freedom. Maybe I want autonomy of, of my schedule and the work that I do. I ulti- you know, ultimately I want to be fulfilled, but what does fulfillment mean? Well, here's the thing I know. I can't define fulfillment for every single person because we're all different and the ingredients of fulfillment are different for everyone. But I think I can pinpoint three things that when I talk to most people, these ingredients exist in fulfilled individuals. And so that first overlap coming out from the center of fulfillment, we started to look at three specific criteria. Does a person have purpose? Does a person have passion? And is the person making progress? Are we growing? Are we excited and passionate about the work? And do we think it's meaningful? And so I said, okay, those are our measurements. That's what I'm measuring for. So how do we measure it? So we started asking our team three specific questions. Do you love the work that you do? Do you believe the work you do matters? And do you see the impact you are having on the work that matters? And we started to evaluate that and ask that question of every single team member. And that kind of started to give us kind of a gauge of, you know, we ask it on a scale of one to four because I hate neutrals. I hate, I hate giving people the option to say, eh, I'm right in the middle of the road. No, no, choose. You are either more or less yeah. passionate about your work. You are more or less feeling like the work is meaningful. You more or less feel like you're making progress. Take a side, decide, you know, so we can, because that I can work on. If you are less fulfilled, if you have, if you feel like, for instance, I'm not making as much progress as I think I'd like to. So I'm, I'm feeling less progress in the in my role. I can work on that. Now I can't solve progress, but what I can do is give clarity to the wins. Maybe you're not, maybe you don't know where we've actually made you've made great strides and successes. Oh, I can bring those out. I can, I can make a point and a purpose to make, give clarity to those things. Um, I can also make sure that you have greater, you know, collaboration with other people. So the progress is taking place. So those are the measurements, right? I love the work I do. I believe the work I do matters and I can see the impact of that work. Um, but I can't move, you know, I can't make you have purpose. Like if you were, and I were working together, I can't say mm, you have purpose right? There's your purpose. Here it is. I told you what it is. I can't make you passionate and I can't actually make you make progress, but here's what I can do. We talked about this. These are the outer circles of the Venn diagram. I can give clarity. 
I can create opportunities for connection to a vision, to a purpose, to values, to people who share those things. I can create opportunities for collaboration where you're working with people who believe the same things, who feel the same things and are excited about the same things. And when I can, in my organization, when I see that we're weak in one of these areas, I look at those outer circles. If we're weak in purpose, I say, where can I give greater clarity or where can I create greater connection? So if I fix those things, I think I can fix whether or not you have purpose. Same thing with passion and progress. I just look at those outer circles and I start working on where I think we're weakest and we start to develop that. Gotcha, gotcha, I love it. And I guess the next question that I bet is going in a lot of people's heads is, how do you find purpose and passion in really mundane jobs like accounting (laughs) or stuff like that? You know, it, yeah, I think that's a really great question because I actually talk about this topic a lot, right? That purpose doesn't have to be uh, about changing the world, solving world hunger or, you know, like, yeah, that may be your purpose and that's awesome if it is, but you could also have a purpose of creating, you know, highly detailed work that you have a, a purpose of excellence, of making sure that every number is accurate. You know, some of us may call it obsessive compulsive. Uh, I have a tend to, tend to have some obsessive compulsive tendencies. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That can be purposeful. You can have a purposeful purpose behind saying, I want to make sure accuracy is my purpose. I want to make sure whatever I do, I make it accurate. You can be passionate about math. I know lots of people who are passionate about math. I'm not, but I've met people who are passionate about it. There's another way of doing it too. I, I heard this talk. I don't remember where I heard it. It was a video, it might've been on TikTok or something like that. It was a, somebody speaking saying, hey, you know, don't worry about finding your passion. Find something you're great at become an expert at it even further, get paid to do it, and you will become passionate for that thing. That's another approach, right? You can go that approach. But ultimately, what you're trying to say is, hey, what gets me up in the warm morning? What What do I get excited about? Writers find writing extremely difficult. I know because I'm trying to become a writer. I'm trying to own my craft of writing. And it's painful, right? But There's a passion in there, even though it's hard, even though it's laborious, even though the words don't always come easy, even though sometimes the, 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 the struggle of the blank page stares back at me, I still feel like I get excited to think of what that blank page will become if I continue to focus on it. And so, yeah, there's mundane things all over the place, but certain people find passion for them all the time. And so I can't tell somebody how to be passionate about math. But if you're passionate about math, then you know what to do. Yeah. There we go. There we go. (laughs) I love it. Well, now we're going to jump into your dreams and goals. Tell us about your vision for your company and your life. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to get, I'm going to do, I'm going to do some long-term short-term here. So for my business, ultimately, uh, I, I want to share what we've learned about culture with the greater world and help small businesses become more successful by being more people first. I think I look around and when I was starting out, there's this hustle culture that has existed and been kind of pervasive in small business and entrepreneurship that you've got to, you've got to grind, grind, grind. And yeah, you know, starting a business is a lot of work, but it shouldn't kill you. It shouldn't destroy your mental health. And when you get there, you shouldn't destroy your team's mental health because you have taken these bad habits of a grind and projected it on them. That's not healthy. So I want to I want to help small businesses be successful. I've said it in my mind. I, I love Simon Sinek's book, Just Cause. He talks about having this like just cause that is probably impossible to actually move the needle, but you're going to work for it. And so I think about how few small businesses make it to year 10. And I think, can I increase that number by creating, helping businesses create a people first culture? And that's kind of become my just cause. It's like, how do I help more small businesses be successful? Because they're focused on the right things. They're not focused on the hustle, but they're focused on the people. So I'd say for my business, that's my kind of my big dream. And so that's why I'm writing actually. It's so I can, you know, help as many people as possible by getting ideas out in a broader, to a broader audience. Personally, it's a new one. I just recently, three months ago, this is real personal. So if you're into that, this, you're going to get it right now. Uh, Three months ago, I went to the doctor because I was having some lightheadedness and dizzy spells. I was the heaviest I had ever been in my life. I had reached 290 pounds. I was pushing 300 pounds. I'm 6'1". I can hold my weight pretty well, 
but I was way overweight. Uh, I guess the, the, the term is morbidly obese. I was really bad. And so three months ago, I went to the doctor for this lightheadedness and they did some blood work and it came back that I had diabetes. And that was a little bit of a shock, although not unexpected. I was pretty big. And so I was a little worried about that. I'm 40. I just recently turned 47 just a little while ago. And uh, I was like, you know, what? I need to make some changes. Uh, and so personally, I have made a short-term goal that when I turn 50, I want to be in the best shape of my life. And so I've started that journey in the last three months. I've lost 33 pounds. Uh, I went back just last week for my blood work. I am no longer diabetic. I've took beat that in three months. And so I'm going to continue the journey. I've got another 50 pounds I want to lose. I want to get running again. I want to run my half marathons and, and kind of get back in that, get in good, healthy shape. So my personal goal is I want to be at 50. I want to be in the best shape of my life. And then I want to continue it so I can spread my message as long as I possibly can and take care of my family. That is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm pretty excited about it myself. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Like three pounds a week? Three and a half yeah. pounds? Uh, yeah, it's it's somewhere. It's actually, I think it's in the two point something pounds a week. I'm not right now, obviously, as I lose weight, it's slowing down. So now I'm at about 1.7 pounds a week is my average loss that I'm at currently. Uh, and I've set myself a goal of one point, uh, one and a half pounds. So I'm going to try to keep sticking with that as much as I can, which is not easy, but, uh, I know I, that caloric deficit, you must be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten good at, I've gotten to the point where I don't crave food as much, which is, is a huge win. Uh, yeah. I've, I've beat that a little bit. So there we go. There we go. I guess. Yeah. 90 days is what it kind of takes to cement that habit. So if you've been doing it consistent for 90 days, you're kind of used to the caloric deficit now. Yep. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I love it. So we got share what you've learned about culture and help small businesses kind of adopt that mentality to extend their life as a small business, hopefully. And then yep. when you turn 50, you want to be in the best shape of your life. Absolutely. Gotcha. Any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about? Uh, you know, one of my dreams now is recently I realized, uh, you know, I'm not a writer. I say I'm not a writer. Uh, I, I say that as I'm reading the book, everybody writes. So <laughs> I have to say I am a writer. I'm not a great writer, but I can get better. And yep. so I really want to, I want to become, I want to get to the point of being a better writer and start publishing books. I think so that's kind of my my new journey. I think as you get to close to 50, you start thinking like, all right, that's the first half of my life. What do I want for the second half? And I think the second half is to share my experiences and ideas in, in writing. And so my goal now is to start publishing books and see what I can make happen. There we go. There we go. Well, awesome. Awesome. When do you think you're gonna have your first book published by? Ooh, well, you know, the publishing process is difficult and there's a, there's a lot of competition and getting, at, you know, self-publishing, I, I could easily do that within the year, uh, but I want to, I want to publish. I want to, I, th I think I'd like to go more the traditional route. And so uh, I'm aiming for in within the next two years uh, to, to have something done and published and actually in the process. So we'll see. There we go. Going to be 50 and best shape of your life and a New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> I love it. Hey. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, if there were one or two people that you could meet right now, and this could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take the next step towards these dreams and goals, who would they be and how would they do it? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of, you know, in, in business, you think you have to have these certain types of experiences to be successful, to be, you know, a coach or a consultant. And, and I have a lot of experiences, but then I, you know, like everyone, I cover, I deal with imposter syndrome like anyone else. And I go, Ooh, do I have everything it takes? And I always have to remind myself, there's always somebody who's beyond, who's not as far as I am, who I can help. And there are going to always be people that are way ahead of me who I can get help from. And so, Ultimately, when I think about writing, I'm there's a lot of authors that I I love and appreciate. Uh, Greg McCown, um, uh, John Acuff, I love his writing. Uh, just recently read one of his books called Soundtracks that has been uh, an impact on my life. So there's some there's some writers and authors that I would love to build some relationships with and connections from, so that I could pick their brain on how to develop as a writer. I think that's probably the direction I would go. There we go. So we got John Acuff. Yeah. And Greg McCone. Yeah. Awesome. There we go. Well, what are the most important one or two things that everyday people can do to help you 
accomplish your dream. So you meet Sally at the grocery store. <laughs> Sally is like, yo, James, how can I help you out? This is what you would tell her. Uh, yeah, that's, that is a great question. Um, I would say one, engage with me, like engage with my content, like talk to me, ask questions, listen to what I have to say, give me feedback. I am, I am, you know, I like to think like anyone that I have it all figured out. And I certainly try to present that persona, right? We all do on social media. Like, here's my wisdom that I have to give you. And, and people, you know, pat you on the back and say, gee, that's, that's so great and profound. I didn't, you know, I never thought, looked at it that way. And you can boost an ego that way. But the truth is, is I also need critique. I need somebody to say, Hey, I like the idea, but I think you could capture it better this way. Or I think if you thought, looked at it from this perspective, or if you read this author, you might be able to hone your craft a little bit better, any of those ideas. So I want engagement ultimately. I want to talk to people, meet new people. That's why I have a podcast myself, right? So that I can interview interesting people and learn from them in my own journey. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, how young or old or where you come from. I have something to learn from every single person that I talk to. And so, yeah, I'd say engage with me, give me feedback and ask me questions so that I can dig deep to hone my craft of communication. There we go. There we go. I love it. Well, now we're going to jump into our thriving three. Okay. And the first question is, what is your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. All right. I got it. It's right over here. Uh, I, I have it right sitting here on my, this book uh, with, with Greg McCone, by the way. Uh, yeah. Essentialism is by far my favorite book of all time. Uh, I started, I read it first, I think probably about six years ago, maybe, give or take. I can't remember exactly. I don't want to say it wrong and find that it was published before, you know, after that day. But I think it was about six years ago. I read it every single year, sometimes twice, uh, because it just reminds me. So the book is Essentialism. If you, uh, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. I found this book because I was studying minimalism. I love the idea of minimalism. My, my family is not into it, but I love the idea of minimalism. And this book kind of came as I just searched, I literally bought every book that exists on the topic of minimalism and consumed all this content. And this book came up in the search, but this is not a book about minimalism, right? This is a book about essentialism. How do we how do we focus on and protect the most important things in our lives? Not just get rid of stuff, but hold on to the things that are most important. So essentialism, I live and die by it. I love this book so much, changes my life. And I read it every every year to remind me. There we go. Yeah, that has been on my reading list for a minute of like, I should really pick that book up. So now you've just reminded me, maybe I'm gonna have to do a little- Bump sooner. it up, Yeah, put it, put it to the front of the list. I promise you, it's a great book. <laughs> there we go, there we go. And what is one way you like to take care of yourself? Well, in my journey, uh, you know, I've lost a lot of weight and yes, calorie deficits are about it, but I also need to build up my physical and cardiovascular health. So, you know, I get up at about 5.30 every morning. I spend a couple hours working, but at 7.30, I go out and I walk for about six miles every single day. So every morning I go out and I walk. Sometimes I listen to a book to feed me. And sometimes I just walk with my thoughts to kind of, get those things flowing and moving. When I walk, I get some of my best ideas because I'm not focused on all the, the, the computer screens and the device, just walking and thinking and so many thought, thoughts flow through and I just, I chase them all and then I let them go and chase the next one. And so walking has been a big part of my life. I hope to get back to running someday and it will probably be that, that will be the next thing. But for today, walk every single day, uh, six miles. There we go. And six mile walk, man, what is that? Hour and a half, two hours? Yeah, about an hour and a half. There we go. That is, that's awesome. That's impressive. <laughs> I can dig it. Imagine when you're running for an hour and a half, how many miles can you run an hour and a half? Ooh, well, you know, if you're, if you got your, if you got your 5k down to about 30 minutes, which is a pretty good pace, right? About a 10, which is when I, 10 years ago, I ran a half and I ran it at about a 10 pace, 10, 10 mile per minute pace. Um, or 10 minute mile, sorry. And so right around there is about a 5K. So you can get to about 15 miles in an hour and a half if you're if you're doing that. I don't advise doing that on a regular basis. 
or not nine miles. I mean, nine miles. I used to do that on the weekend. So I would, when I was running before, again, 10 years ago, I would run about five miles every morning. And that was pretty good. And then on the weekends, on a Saturday, I might do like seven or nine to push it a little bit further. Cause I like distance running. I gotcha. You know, I just, I can't, I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's just like, this, but part of me feels the challenge to go do it just for the mental challenge of it. Because I'm, I'm like down to run sprints. I'll go run hills. Like, that's yeah, exciting to me. It's more fun. Like, I'd want to do that. But like jogging six miles, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> so do you do you trail run or stuff like that? No, no. Most of my working out is just weights. And weights. OK. If I do like a three sets of eight on squat, I'll do the reps a little bit faster. But I'm really bad with cardio. I just <laughs> what, I, what I'll do is I'll play sports a lot. And so if I'm running the court playing basketball or jumping around the court playing volleyball, that's how I'll get my cardio in. Great workouts. Uh, yeah. 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 But man, jogging. <laughs> that is just rough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly isn't for everyone. I, you know, I, I always say whatever it is, find that thing that physically gets you sweating and builds up your endurance, find out whatever it is. And it, it can be weights. It can be just playing basketball or tennis or something that gets you moving and gets your brain disconnected from the everyday thoughts that you're always dealing with. The best way you can, you can unlock new ideas is by disengaging from the ones you're always thinking about. And so any kind of physical activity that causes, you know, the reason I like running is because I'm thinking about my pace and my breathing and trying not to run too fast or too slow. Like I'm trying to lock that in. Well, by thinking about that, I disengage from all the other stuff. And now all of a sudden I open myself up to all kinds of new wandering thoughts that I would otherwise not have the opportunity to think about. And any kind of sport or activity can do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love it. And what is one action step you can take right now or continue to take if you're already doing it to meet John Acuff or Greg McCone? <laughs> Well, that's a hard one. I don't, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I know I have to, I have, I've started the process of developing a writing habit, right? Like I have to write every day to get better at it. And so I've started writing 400 words a day. And then next week I'll be moving up to 500 words a day until I can get up to about a thousand words a day. And I want to kind of do that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to get on their radar and get a conversation yeah. with them. I'm going to have to find an excuse to get them on my podcast or something and, <laughs> uh, and say like, I just, Hey, just come on and, and share your new book to my very small audience. And let's, let's talk about it and see if they like me enough to want to talk to me off the record. <laughs> what is the, uh, what's the podcast about? Is it about a specific topic or just people stories? It's, it's a, uh, it's a podcast called leading to fulfillment. And basically I talk with leaders uh, of various businesses and of various degrees. And we talk about team culture and how do we lead well? How do we lead people first? And so that's a lot of what we talk about, but it's called leading to fulfillment. I feel that. I feel that. I feel like you could get them on. People are pretty I, open to coming on the podcast. I think you're probably right. I, again, it may be my own imposter syndrome. It's like, who? yeah, why would they want to be on my podcast? Right? Like it's probably a little bit of that. I don't know. I don't know. We all go through it, right? Nobody's immune. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. No, absolutely. I bet you'd have more value to, to offer them than you'd think, especially with your business background. Like you bring more, much more to the table than just a podcast. That, that perhaps is true. I don't, I try not to think that about myself, but that might be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, awesome. I look forward to listening to your podcast when they come on it. You'll have to shoot me the episode. I will. I will. I did it. And it was inspired by this conversation to dream a little bit bigger and to reach a little bit further. <laughs> there we go. And now we're going to jump into our final series of questions. And I did not send these questions beforehand. So if you don't Ooh. answer, that's perfectly okay. You can just say, okay. They also require a bit of pretext. So stick with me as I read them. Okay. So a lot of people have come on the podcast and they've said that the catalyst that helps people change from having a fixed mindset, not willing to accept help and not willing to accept change to having a growth mindset, being willing to accept help and being willing to accept change. The catalyst that helps people make that switch is a personal choice, 
that happens after either extreme inspiration or extreme desperation. Do you agree, disagree, have anything to add or subtract? Ooh, you're right. There's a lot of context there. Um, I, I think I agree with that idea. Um, I think it takes, it takes real, I think that says it right. Like it takes real inspiration or real desperation to change your mind. We get, we live in a culture right now where we're very divided and we're polarized and there's so much arguing going on. And what you ultimately see is people are just kind of set in this kind of, this is the way I think. And when I look back 20 years ago, I think totally differently than I did 20 years ago. I don't hold a lot of the same political beliefs, the same spiritual beliefs, the same whatever. I am a very different person today than I was 20 years ago, which is uncommon, right? It's uncommon to change that drink. I was raised a certain way and now I am totally different than the way that I was raised. And I have to look back and say, what changed my mindset? What opened me up to new ideas and new thoughts? And I think it was, for me, I think it was, both. I don't think it was one or the other. I think it was a little bit of both. I was inspired by people who encouraged me, who I saw true kindness and generosity and, and, and positivity in. And I became a desperate to break out of a negative mindset and, and something that was holding me back. I felt held back in different areas. And these are different topics throughout my life. So it's not just like one clear cut, like this has been a constant evolution in my life, but it has been both inspiration and desperate. So if I guess if it was change, it's not, it wasn't inspiration or desperation. It was both. Yeah. There we go. I love it. And given the same amount of inspiration or desperation, why do you think some people make the choice to change and others don't? Ooh, fear. Uh, I think it's fear uh, that keeps people back. Uh, and, and it may be fear that pushes people forward too. I, I, think, in the, I think in the end, I think it, honestly, I think it's hope that causes people to change. It makes people choose to change. They, they have hope of a brighter future, hope that they can actually make an impact in someone else's life or even in their own lives. I think there's hope to want to evolve and be better than we are today, tomorrow, and the next day and the next day. And on the other side, the thing that holds us back, I think it's fear that we're going to fail fear that we could be wrong, not willing to put ourselves out there and be said, told that we're, you're, you're wrong. You've got it all backwards. And you, you know, and so we just, we, there's a, some part of us that just doesn't want to be ridiculed and doesn't want to fail and doesn't want to be seen as less than. And so it's just easier, you know, I can't fail at something if I don't try. I can't fail at some, but the truth is, if you don't try, you've already failed at that thing. And so, I think, yeah, I think it's hope that makes us change. I think it's fear that causes us not to. There we go. There we go. Fear is so interesting because it's like, are we really scared of failure? Like, yes, we are. But I think what we're really scared of is like what we think failure will do to us in the sense that sure. we're not going to be accepted by the people around us if they see us as a failure. Because I'm like, failure in and of itself really isn't that bad. It's like, oh, okay. I'll just correct myself, right? Like when you get the right relationship with failure, like you realize it's necessary for success and you fail and you learn and you fail and you learn, then you succeed and then you fail bigger and you learn bigger and then you succeed bigger. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's just so strange to think of, of how much of what we fear is just tied to other people. Like we want to be accepted by other people. We want to accept ourselves. I think that's uh, you are spot uh, you are spot on with that. I think what happens is you're right. It's not just this kind of category of fear. It's fear of I'm going to humiliate myself. It's fear that I'm going to be thought of as less than. It's fear that I'm going to be thought of as stupid. It's going to be fear that of whatever the thing might be, right? But ultimately what we're saying is it's fear of what people are going to think about me if I fail. And here is something that I heard once that I don't can't remember where it came from, but I think it, it's, it's helpful to kind of contextualize this fear. People are thinking about you a lot less than you think they are thinking about you. Facts. 
So you're going to fail. And yeah, some people might say something, but then it's gone tomorrow. They forgot. Like it's a momentary pain that just goes away almost instantly. So just don't worry about it. Just, uh, just do it. Yeah. The people who say something is literally out of their head and they don't think about it. And it happens like within a minute, like they say it maybe a minute or two passes, maybe five, maybe 10 minutes. And they will never think about that thing again. (laughs) Exactly. it, It may haunt you for years, but it's like that person went on living their life and it's just, it's failure is a silly thing to be scared of when you actually start to think about it. But then it's like, but it hits so deep. <laughs> Even the, after you think about it, it's like, it still hits. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, right? We are all the leading role of our own stories, right? You are the leading player of your story, but I'm the leading player of my story. So when I see somebody who fails, I don't have too much time to, to invest in that because I'm still telling my leading role story, right? And so everyone is that way. And, and it's, a, it's a very special person who can break out of that and make you the leading role even in their own story. And that's what great leaders learn how to do. But the truth is, don't worry about it, right? Like they're, you're, they're thinking about you maybe for a second, but life's short and they've moved on and somebody else did something that caught their attention and don't even worry about it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, some people need a small amount of desperation or inspiration to change and others need a larger, more consistent amount. What do you think establishes that threshold and can it be influenced? Um, I think it can be influenced. I think that threshold depends on who you surround yourself with. I think if you surround yourself with people who only think like you and only see the world the way you see it, you your 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 threshold is much higher for needing for the ability for the desire to change. It's going to get a lot more difficult because you don't have enough context to see the world any other way. But as you surround yourself with broader thinkers who think beyond what you think and have opinions and ideas beyond your opinions and ideas, I think the threshold starts to narrow and you start to be more open to that idea and you get more excited. What ends up happening is when you expose yourself to more ideas, I think your capacity to hope increases. And when you hold yourself to people who only think like you, your capacity to hope decreases and your capacity to fear people who are different than you increases. And so, yeah, I think that threshold is different for every, can be different for anyone. Uh, And I think that what changes that threshold is who you surround yourself with. There we go. Love that answer. We got one last question for you. Okay. So for this question, keep in mind a person with a really fixed mindset, they're not willing to accept help and they're not willing to accept change. In Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about the four laws of changing your behavior. And the laws are to make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. With that context in mind, and the avatar we just talked about, how can we, you and I, create an environment that makes it more obvious, more attractive, more easy, and more satisfying for that person to make the choice that will change their life? Oh, that's a great question. I think it comes back to what we just talked about with thresholds. When different people have good, healthy conversations around divergent topics and ideas, and they do so in a way that is respectful and life-giving, to one another. People who watch that will want that. People who see it will want to partake in it and want to change. I think that makes it one, it's, it makes it obvious that it can happen. It makes it more attractive that these conversations are done and healthy and that new ideas are able to be exposed. I think what you and I and what anyone listening can do is have conversations and have them in the open, even when they are when you have divergent ideas or principles, but talk about them in a respectful way, in a kind way. You don't always have to be nice, but you always have to be kind. You always have to show respect to the other person that you're talking to, that I may not see things the way that you see them, but I can learn from you 
and start to at least start to understand it, even though I don't believe the same way. And so I think having these conversations in the open as much as possible, we expose people to more ideas, which makes it more obvious, more compelling, more attractive. And ultimately, I think we change more people's minds than when we uh, just fight about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that. Good, healthy conversations in the open around divergent topics and ideas in a respectful and life-giving way. Yes. Um, I love it. I, I'm just, uh, I'm curious if, like, is that more of a one-off thing or a as consistently as possible thing? I think it's as consistently as possible. So I'll give you an example in our business. I'll give you kind of a business context, right? There are a lot of companies right now who are getting getting kind of raked over the coals because they have basically created a policy where they shut down all political talk. No politics. We don't want it because it just, there's too many, you know, our, our company is, is diverse and not everybody agrees and it just creates place for arguing and bickering and fighting and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's one approach. The approach that we have taken is we have not, we will not shut down political conversation because one, I think there's a danger of shutting down political conversation. I think people who are, uh, who are treated unfairly then don't have the ability to speak up because it gets shut down under the guise of political talk. And so now people who are, uh, who need to be able to speak up because there is injustice can't do so. So that's one reason why I don't like it. The other reason is nobody convinced anyone of anything by saying, I'm not going to talk to you because we disagree. We only change people's minds when we have open, respectful conversations. So I think it has to be consistent conversations. What we said is you can talk about anything, but you must respect the other person and you can't turn it into a personal attack. It's fine if you disagree with somebody politically. It's fine if you disagree with a decision of the Supreme Court or if you uh, agree with the, the decision of a Supreme Court. It's fine if you think that. It is not fine if you cast personal dispersions on someone else because they think differently than you. Yeah. That is not okay. So what we've done is we've said, you can have these conversations as long as we keep it respectful, we keep it kind, and we keep it productive. We move the conversation forward and we recognize we're not going to always agree and we're not going to change anyone's mind in the first conversation, but you might in the second, the third, and the fourth. So yes, I think you have to have constant and continual, consistent, respectful conversations in order to make a change. I love it. Well, awesome. James, that's all we got for you. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? I don't know. I think this was so much. I think there is, this is good. No, I really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't expecting those last few questions, but they were fantastic and uh, thought provoking. And so, no, I don't think there's anything else I have to say. I just, I, you know, I hope it added some value to the listeners. There we go. Well, James, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been, it's been a blast. Of course. And if you guys were listening to this and you loved what James had to say, had to say, make sure to go check him out. All the ways to connect with him, engage with him, ask him questions. All of those will be down in the show notes. Be on the lookout for his podcast with John Acuff and Greg McCown. <laughs> <laughs> as well as the release of his book. As we always ask, shoot this podcast over to one to three people you know need to hear this message, go ahead and shoot us a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show. And on that note, we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.